You have to show up and you have to show up and be a part of your community. If you have a community garden, volunteer, pick from it because you know what that tells them every time you pick something from it or volunteer that they need it. Hi guys and welcome back to the Mind Body Planet podcast. I'm Crystalyn and you may notice today we are introducing video to the podcast. So not only can you listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but I will be uploading these to YouTube from now on too. Today we are chatting about the art of sustainable cities with guest Alyssa Barber. Alyssa is an online eco-educator and climate communicator with followings on both TikTok and Instagram. Her and I have been friends for I think a year now, and one of her interests is how we can create communities that are beneficial for everyone. And that is enough of me chatting, so let's get into it. Hello, Alyssa. Welcome to the Mind Body Planet podcast. Hi. I'm so happy to have you on. We have some really cool topics to talk about. So we always start with the week's favorites. So I will go first to give you time to think about some. My first one is Ted Lasso. I'm obsessed. There's one more episode left in season three, which I think is the last season. And I'm excited. I freaking love it. And um, now, right now, I keep talking with my friends and I'm like, what do you think is going to happen? Who's going to leave? Like, who's the spinoff show? Because there's been talks about there's going to be like a spinoff show. And I'm like, who's who's that going to revolve around? So Ted Lasso. I'm a Ted Lasso girl. What can I say? Dude, what is that on? <laughs> what streaming platform? It's on Apple TV. Really? Okay, I don't have that. Oh my gosh. So you haven't seen Ted Lasso? No, I haven't at all. I honestly, I'm not even going to lie. Chris, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. So yes, it's on Apple TV. It's won like awards. It's like, you know, a well-known show, I guess, in the award space, Emmys, Grammys. I don't know. I don't know the difference between all the award shows, but it basically re revolves around a soccer team in England. And they hire this football coach from Kansas and he gets there and he knows nothing about soccer and is like, why did I get this job? But he's got his own like personal life things going on, which is why he took the job in the first place. And then you find out that the owner of the team, she got it in a divorce settlement with her ex-husband and her oh. goal yeah is to like basically drive the team into the ground and she was like how can i ruin the one thing that my ex-husband loved pretty much oh okay drama yeah drama and so that's kind of what it revolves around it is like about soccer but it's like not too sporty like once you get too into the sports like you lose me it's got like a nice balance of like romance and drama and just like really great character development of all the different characters in the show it's very interesting and ted lasso is like he's just a kansas man with like a, he's just so lovable my second favorite thing is wearing sweaters even though we are in texas summer at this point it's like 90 degrees but i love a sweater and i can't give them up <laughs> i swear i look like i'm like in the middle of winter in my house sometimes because i'm like wearing my sweatpants and my sweater and my fuzzy socks snuggled up on the couch just pretending like it's fall <laughs> and then last but not least for me is linen fabric i feel like i'm newer to the linen like understanding the hype behind linen but because it is really hot in texas and i love my sweaters i feel like linen is like such this like in between <laughs> spot because i can still wear like long linen pants or even like you know a linen button-down shirt and then roll up the sleeves so i still get that like 
modest is hot as five, but in a fabric that's not going to make me sweat. <laughs> For real. I got a linen over like shirt that like ties in the front. I wear it over every single dress because like when my arms are out like that, I'm like, ooh, a little risque for like an <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> I feel the same way. I get so uncomfortable if like my shoulders are like spaghetti straps. I'm always like, yeah. mm, like I don't feel right. <laughs> or if it like if a top feels too like chesty on me, I'm like, okay, I don't. <laughs> I'm not looking up for the girls to be out to play like during the day every day. <laughs> like that's just me. Like I have a hard time like, feeling a breeze there. It's not for me. Oh, no, no, it's not. It's not. That is all I have for this week's favorites. Do you have any? Would you like to share? Yes, I have two. So one is line dancing. Like everybody in my family would like pound their head on a wall. They have to watch me line dance one more time. But like me and some of my best friends like started Wednesday night line dancing lessons and they're free. It's at like a local dive bar and we found it randomly and we started going every week and now we're obsessed and our goal is to be like hot country line dance girlies by the end of the summer and like we're trying so hard to be good and I feel like just recently it started feeling easier so that's why it's this week's favorite because I was there yesterday and I was like it was like one of the first times where I was like oh like every dance felt so much easier than it did before. So like line dancing, yes, it is such a fun hobby because if you're uncoordinated, like it's all footwork and you can do all the extra stuff or you cannot. You can be like me and you cannot do all the extra stuff and just kind of like bop around and it's a good time. Line dances like 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 the ones you used to do at like school dances, like those kinds of line dances? Like like, like country line dancing. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, like no, I don't know what you're talking about. It's, so it's, <laughs> I mean, I like, think I know. I went to Texas A&M. I feel like I should know this. It's the most country school in Texas. No, like I, I only know because like my great grandma would line dance and my grandma would a little bit, but my grandma was also a swing dancer. But my mother, like she, she has like the capabilities to dance too. However, she birthed me and I do not. It's like footwork. It's like country line dance footwork. Like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain it to you besides like did you ever in PE had to learn like Cotton Eye Joe or something? Yes. Yeah. Wait, so that's a line dance? That's a line dance. The other ones are more fun and to better songs. But like that's a, like a stereotypical, I guess, line dance. Don't quote me on that. But I guess it's one of like a, like a common okay. one to like understand as a line dance. Oh, okay. Gotcha. You know, I think I was getting it confused with like two-stepping. Because two-stepping is like you have a dance partner and you like do spins oh, no. and stuff. Yeah. Line dancing. Well, it's not like that. It's solo. Solo. So that's like when you're like at a wedding and like a certain song comes on. Let's just say it's a Cotton Eye Joe and everybody like comes to the dance floor and they just do the same dance, but individually, like in a group. Yeah, in lines, in rows. And so like in... think of the Cupid Shuffle. That's technically a line dance. The ones they teach are like to all kinds of country songs, which is weird because like I never listened to country music. To me, country music used to be like a nostalgic thing of the past for me where I would think about like being in my gr like grandma's trailer and listening to like line dance. I mean, not line dance music, country music. And like now it's like weird to like hear it again. All of a sudden, like discovering country music. <laughs> like after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> 
listening to country music. Oh my gosh. Well, welcome. Uh, I love the country radio station. <laughs> we play it a lot here, but I totally understand. Like, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of country music. So when I started getting back into it, even just like, you know, the radio, not like I couldn't name you know, certain artists or anything. It brings back like interesting memories. So I like that you're kind of like rewriting your memories a little bit, like to have something like in the present, you know, grow with it, evolve with country music. And my other favorite was the, do you know what those mocha pots are? Which are like those little stove top kind of espresso makers? Yes, yes. I think I saw a viral video of them on TikTok. They're kind of angular looking. Yes, I think they're like, uh, they originated... And Italy, do not quote me on that. I'm not sure about that because I saw this information in a TikTok. So take that with a huge grain of salt. But I, I thought they were so cool. And me and Jacob, who's my partner, like we're really into coffee and all different kinds. So I guess technically it's not an espresso because it's not pressurized. But I've been really liking it because it's such a creamy coffee and i even used it in my iced latte today but like i love it so much because it's so quick and it's just another coffee thing and you can find them like at the thrift stores which is how we found ours so it's really cool oh wow Ooh, secondhand purchase love to see it all right well like let's get into today's topic so we're talking about sustainable cities and you may be able to phrase that a little bit better than i can but tell us about yourself like how did you get into sustainability and i know you have a platform on multiple different social media channels so would love to hear about your take on that as well but let's start with how you got into sustainability Okay, so I got into sustainability in the cheesiest way possible, which was me and my best friend back during the Visco kind of save the sea turtles hashtag movement where everybody was talking about like swapping, like getting rid of straws and using your hydroflask during that era. We thought that was really funny and we would always talk about like zero waste and we would like find a zero waste swap and we would pick it up in the store and be like zero waste over time. It like manifested itself in us to be like, wait, we kind of actually care like beyond beyond this. And I think me, like many other people first kind of fell into it in terms of the waste kind of portion of sustainability, because it's very tangible. You can see it like I remember like being in in school and like my school they do now the school district does now. But back when I was in like elementary and middle school, like I remember we didn't have recycling, but it did exist. And I would watch like huge, huge stacks of like papers from admin and stuff get thrown out in the trash. And that kind of thing just gave me like a pit in my stomach. It also would just kind of give me a pit when I would go to these huge big box stores, things like Costco, Sam's Club, things like that. And when I would be in there, it would kind of feel like, This is just a lot of stuff that's not going to all get bought. My community cannot buy all this. There's just no way with all these stores around. And so, like, I first got into it in a very, like, tangible, waste-driven kind of way. All it really takes is that one little, like, spark of curiosity. And then it kind of, like, takes off from there where you're, like, wanting to learn more about this. Well, how does waste affect different communities other than mine? And what is there beyond waste? And then you find out that there's carbon emissions and greenhouse gases. And you're like, well, what are those? Why do these matter more? I can't even see them and things like that. And you start to realize there's a lot more 
to the puzzle than the one small piece you originally had. I, I feel like a lot of people start in that way. They notice one problem and then that kind of snowballs into a greater understanding of right. where we need to change. You also have a following on several different social media platforms. So would love to hear about how you got started in that. <laughs> I originally got started on TikTok for a class. I have told this story many times. And I was getting a degree in social media and digital content strategy. And I was in a personal branding class with my advisor. And the thing about the class is you had to create an account about yourself with some sort of like mild spin on it. Like you couldn't just be like a general lifestyle creator and something like that. You had to have a little something extra. TikTok was fairly new. Obviously, whenever it was like, it's not new as in terms of the app didn't exist because there was musically bite dance. And mm. then it turned into TikTok, which how we know it now. And so that part was pretty new. And the way people were using it for education was very new. You know, it was more than just dances and audio syncs and things like that. So I was in this class and I was like, well, I don't see, I was interested in sustainability. I actually didn't know a lot about it, but I wanted to learn more. So I thought like, I'm going to document myself and everything I learn. And every time I learn something, I'll share it. Hence why I started the account name, which was New Lifestyle. In this course, I had to post every day because there was other people in the class who were making like 10 minute long YouTube videos every week. And at the time, TikToks were only 15 seconds long. So he said I had to post every single day. So I posted every single day for an entire um, spring semester. And by the end of the semester, I had um, 50,000 followers on TikTok just from posting every day. And then I had this like community of people who were really interested in low waste living, which is kind of what I was talking about at the time. It has definitely changed since then. I still talk about sustainable living, but I talk about many of other things too, like sustainable cities, which I know we're going to talk about more heavily today. And that's kind of where I started. And then I decided hey, I got like 50,000 people who are curious. I can't just like stop learning, right? And that's the thing is that like, you can't stop learning in this space. There's so much to learn. And so I was like, well, if I'm still learning, I might as well keep sharing. And it's very that stereotypical, like you just want to share what you learn with people. And it just kept growing from there. And that mission hasn't really changed where like all I'm trying to do is share with people and share information and educate people about a wide range of topics centered around being better for the planet. Social media is such an interesting space because like you said, yeah. you you can't stop learning. You have to keep learning, whether it's about the social media app itself or about your content that you're posting. Yeah, even if you don't want to keep learning, <laughs> you will learn something regardless. <laughs> you've said you've shifted from more lifestyle type sustainable living content into some other different genres. And I know one of those genres is talking about sustainable cities. So I would love your take on what, what is a sustainable city for those of us who don't know? That's a very nuanced question because a sustainable city can mean so much. There isn't even one I can draw attention to and be like, this is the sustainable city. Um, it doesn't really exist yet. And that's the whole point, right? Of why we talk about it. You know, we have, we don't really have a perfect model and that's okay. Actually, that 
leaves room for great opportunity because we don't have that. But a sustainable city, if somebody's talking about that, it could mean anything from how their cities are built, how their buildings are built, how they're insulated, how they're crafted. It can mean how people mobilize. How do they get around? Is it by car, transit, bike, walking? How does it affect minority groups in communities, whether we're talking about BIPOC people, disabled people? How do these community members interact with their cities? And is it harder for them? How can we make it easier for them? Uh, It can even mean things like how the community members interact with each other. What's kind of that cultural structure there? Is there a big emphasis on giving and sharing and community, or is it very individualistic, kind of standoffish? You know, it can mean such a wide variety of things, which is why it's such an interesting and fun topic for me to talk about, because it's never going to end. There is no end to what we could talk about and what we can go into depth on. I particularly talk a lot about um, walkability and the way cities are built and public transit and how communities interact with those things. So it's more of like a holistic picture. There's not like one solve or one piece that makes a sustainable city. It's all these different parts. Absolutely, yeah, no, there's so many parts and it also will vary city to city because when I say city, I don't even mean your New York, your LA, you know, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. That is very different. It's very different here. You're in, are you in Dallas or Austin? San Antonio, close. San Antonio, I got that so wrong. You're in Texas though. (laughs) (laughs) Anywhere in Texas is going to be vastly different from New York. It's going to be vastly different from LA. And I'm just talking US cities, you know, where we haven't even touched on the, you know, a more global scope of things. But it even think of like rural areas, small towns, um, it's all going to look super different. And I think there's this kind of misconception that whenever we talk about sustainable cities, it means that all of a sudden everywhere's going to look like New York. Everybody's going to be walking around. We're going to have skyscrapers in these small towns when that's not really the case scenario at all. But it is looking at what happened in history to get us where we are right now and what are ways we can make small improvements to just kind of keep our focus on the people in these communities rather than keeping the focus on things like housing and cars and not take the focus off of housing, but more like things like property value and things like that um, and putting the focus back on people. There's a lot of suburban areas now, which do seem to be a lot like vehicle focused. Um, Like it's very difficult to walk from your house to a grocery store, for example, that's going to be difficult to find in a lot of communities. So is it really just cars? So it's more than just cars. There's also the movement of people. Cars did play a huge, huge role in things like that. When we talk about like horse and buggy times and trolley cars and things like that, which trolley cars were kind of a smaller form of public transit, you know, not as robust as things we see today, like bus and subway systems and things like that. But it was a form of public transportation to get around. So cars are the most popular blame. They are a huge component and moving part to that piece. It is not the only part, but... I think it's the most talked about because it's the most prevalent to where how these cities got totally reshaped and kind of bulldozed over 
so that we could make way for cars because cars were the mm. future, you know, they were the future of getting around. And it really, cars really fit well in the idea of American individualism, where this is yours, you own it, you are in it by yourself, it's yours, and you feel very cut off from people around you when you're in your car. There's a lot of jokes online of people saying things like, when I'm walking on the street as a pedestrian, I'm one with the people. And then it's like, cuts to them in their car and they're like blaring their horn at the pedestrian. <laughs> and there's a reason we feel that way when we're in this giant piece of machinery that's much bigger than a person. It gives you this more stronger sense of individualism. And I am guilty of it. I think everybody's guilty of it who has a car. So there is a lot to talk about when we talk about how cars coming into play and becoming a part of the bigger picture really affected communities and affected the way our cities look and run and are even divided by things like highways. Wow. Interesting. I feel like those are all thoughts that I'm not sure I ever really connected in my brain, but hearing you say it makes sense. So when we talk about sustainable cities and how cars have kind of impacted how likely we are to truly have a sustainable city in today's day and age. What can we do as a society or as a community, I guess, almost take a few steps backwards to get in that direction? Do you have any idea how we can do that? But maybe really, I should say step forwards in that direction, because we're going to have to live with both. Yeah, like, like you said, I would consider it more of a step forward, because we probably will not the, the goal is not to be back in horse and buggies, or little dinky trolley cars or something like that. The advancements we're trying to make is to be in more walkable, bikeable, electric driven modes of transportation. And so smaller steps to get there really does start with people and individuals. And a lot of these choices and how your cities are zoned and how your cities are built start with your local government. And I know we hear that a lot today and it sounds so scary and so insane. But here's the thing, all your local politicians, all your local council members, they all have emails that you can find online. And there doesn't have to be a bill put in place or anything specific you're inquiring about. You can just stay in touch with them. I know people who have like their local politicians in their phone because they call so often. So they like write the name in their phone and keep it in there, which is a great <laughs> idea. So you can just call their offices whenever you have something you want to chat about. But really like you, you are the reason why these people are in these positions. So you can stay on top of them. It is also your duty to hold them accountable as much as it is for them to try to hold themselves accountable. But also, if you are a business, we also live in a world where you might actually have a little bit more leverage than an average person, unfortunately, but it is kind of true, especially in these smaller towns and things of such. For example, in my case, I have a small little main street that heavily, heavily impacts the decisions my city makes because of the amount of commerce that happens down there. And many of these business owners are able to get on boards for events or for other things that have to do with the community. And so really use that leverage and get to know these politicians because they are just people and they live in your community. So you can find them. You'll find them at events in their offices, over email, over phone. These little town hall meetings you hear about, they're not so little. They impact you very heavily, very directly. 
going to these is going to give you more of a voice, being brave enough to speak at them. And you don't even have to speak at them at first. You can just attend. Like I attended a couple myself before I decided to actually like get up and say something on a podium. It is very scary. Uh, for example, the last one I was at with my partner was one that was discussing a new car wash being built not far from me. And the thing is that there are many, many car washes on this strip and they shut down a local business and bulldozed it and we're going to put a car wash there. And they held a town hall about it to try to, to stop it. And I went there and I was there that we lost that car wash got built and you will take losses. So do not expect that you're just cause you're there. It's going to be solved overnight. That is, that is, we get so many whims, but you have to be prepared for hearing about and witnessing losses as well. That's okay. There's always going to be room for improvement, but starting to get involved and talking about it more and demanding what you want from your officials and also getting friends and family involved is huge to get people to show up with you and show how much the community cares about even seemingly the smallest decisions. Mm -hmm, definitely. So for people who want to make more of a change and want to have more of a voice, but are too afraid to get on a podium and speak, like you said, do you have any advice on what to say? I think the scariest part is not really knowing what to say. Is it really just going up there and voicing your opinion? Hey, I don't want this car wash to be built. And here's why. Or is there more to it? Right. So there's not really um, anything super intense about it. There, there's really no rules, right? So if it's just you want to get up there and you want to voice your opinion and say like, I don't want the car wash and you want to keep it very logistical and you say, well, there's this many car washes within a one mile, two mile, five mile radius of it. It's proof that the communities don't need them. This is the number of cars they recorded coming through in the past month. If it's something like that, you can certainly do that. But I also personally love, now this is a personal opinion. You absolutely don't have to do this. I love when people tell their own personal stories. So there were some people talking about memories they had at this local restaurant that got, it was already taken down at the time, but they talked about memories there. And basically we're saying how things like local businesses that try to improve the lives of the community members, how that really resonated with them and affected them and how a lot of times car washes can feel more like cash grabs. There are a lot of car washes in the suburbs um, and it gets to a point where you don't need many more. And so it's not that um, car washes cannot exist and neither can cars. That's, that's not the case scenario at all. Quite the opposite. Um, they, they do need to exist, but at such a capacity, it starts to look a little, a little ill intent um, whenever it, is presented in that way. But there are many ways you can approach a podium, like I said, so very logistical, more of just storytelling, um, however you want to. You don't even have to talk at all. Just showing up and applauding the people who did talk also says something. That's also a voice in the room. So if that really scares you, I totally understand. That's okay. You are there to back up and applaud the people who you do trust and who are very good educators and can really hold a room. And you can just be there to back those people up and that's totally okay too. 
Definitely. I love that advice. I feel like that's something anybody can take with them moving forward. Yeah. And they're not scary. A lot of people think they're scary to go. You just show up. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Just show up. Like what's the worst that can happen? Exactly. Uh, So I'd like to take a step backwards on sustainability cities or sustainable cities. In a perfect world, what would those look like to you? In a perfect world, a sustainable city would just be what best serves its people. It is a system that first and foremost takes care of all of its people. And then beyond that system, it is building infrastructure around this kind of already developed culture and system that supports everybody. And then it would build infrastructure that supports that even more. So if people are, a community is really big on a big event they have every year or something that they have a nice main street little place to gather and not have cars running down the middle while there's kids running around. You know, there's something where it's closed off. It's just people on foot. The buildings around them are accommodating to people on foot. There's also things like building to scale of people and building to scale of cars. So an example of that would be if you've been ever walking down a big, busy road, you will see these, take fast food chains, for example. They have these huge signs that you are walking by. And when you're on foot, you'd have to like stare up at the sky. You, you were not even going to see them. But in a car, you will. You do need that much bigger sign. So an example of building the scale for people on foot would be more like when you think of walking through a little shopping center or maybe an outdoor mall style of something. And you see these little signs hanging over the doors and you can read every name as you go by. So that would be an example of being more accommodating to building for people on foot, if that's what a community needs. Now, not every community needs that. Take towns, for example, something much smaller in population. Maybe some of these people own land. They need cars or some type of motorized vehicle to get around. That's okay. That's going to be different for them. But maybe they do need a downtown strip with some things to do, some local places to shop, some places, maybe markets to sell their own crops and foods, if it's more of a farming community, for example, you know, areas where they can come together and do that. And it's just accommodating them. So do these people need charging stations for these cars if they choose to get an electric car? Do they need at least one bus going through? You know, what what do they need? So it's not really saying that every street's going to be walkable. There's no cars Mm -hmm. and it's going to be perfect. It's not the case at all. There are also things like car shares. So could complexes, apartment complexes in, say, a city like New York, instead of having a parking garage, could they have a smaller lot with car shares in it? Because not everybody needs a car all the time, but maybe you want to do a road trip. And there's things like car shares to do stuff like that. So there's a million different ways to see a city as more sustainable. Will we ever see a perfect city? I don't know, because what what does perfect even mean? You know, I just think it needs to serve mm-hmm. the community to the best of its abilities. And we live in a world right now where they're, we're ready for constant opportunity. You know, we're not there yet. And I think it's going to take time and a lot of work and a lot of innovation for us to get there. Mm-hmm. A lot of creativity and openness as well. Your perspective is really refreshing because I do feel like sometimes when people talk about sustainable cities, it almost makes it feel like when you don't know much about them, because to be honest, I feel like I'm learning along with everybody listening to this podcast about what a sustainable city means, what it looks like um, and all that jazz. 
And I do feel like sometimes when you get these little snippets, you're like, oh, well, yeah, I would love to live in a walkable city, but it seems really unrealistic that my city is going to change in the next five years and just bulldoze everything. So it's all walkable. Like that just seems really yeah. unrealistic and a waste of what resources are already at our disposal. So I like your your take that it's not necessarily bulldozing and starting from scratch, but implementing things that everybody in the community can benefit from. So whether that's public transportation, like a bus or a trolley system, like I know San Francisco's got like their streetcars they have there, which makes me think of this kind of topic that we're talking about, or even more local businesses, less um, corporate type businesses. So people can really benefit right. from gathering in parks even and creating yeah. community in that way. Yeah, green spaces are huge, absolutely. Okay, so I know we have talked about talking to your local politicians that live in your city and creating an impact that way and having a voice for change in your specific local community. If you're not ready for that step, if that feels too daunting, if is there anything that is a bit smaller that somebody can focus on doing to start until they work up the courage to move towards actually going to these local events? If you are interested in, let's say, a very... I, I know, I mean, take a shot for every time I say the word community in this podcast, but <laughs> we're looking for a more community-centered type of society where you live. The thing you can do is support and be active within it already as it is. So, for example, one thing that could really benefit IC communities in the future is libraries. Remember when I talked about that car share concept? Well, there's other mm -hmm. concepts where it's like, what if we did tools and, you know, things for DIY projects or home renovations or, you know, not everybody needs a drill in their house. Not everybody needs to mow their lawn every day. What if we shared them? You know, what if we did that? The reason why individualism like that works so well is because it's great for commerce if everybody has a lawnmower and everybody has a drill and you're like, I don't want them touching my drill. But if you're kind of, you know, you're looking for something beyond that, you like having neighbors, you like knowing them <laughs> and you like people around you and you want to build on that. I think libraries could be a great place to do that. They already have the structure to check out items and items that aren't books. My library has pans and baking pans. You might, one of my librarians handed me a cooking book that she recommended, like a recipe book. And she's like, and if you need the pan, like we have the pan if you don't have it. And I already had the pan myself, so I didn't need it. But that's like a great example of how we can utilize these spaces that already exist. We don't have to find a whole new system. A lot of it already exists. And that's the magic, right? It all already exists. The technology, the ideas, the innovation, it's there. We have to implement it and build upon it. So let's say the library, for example, go get a library card, keep an active card, you know, check out and check in books, cookbooks, books you love to read, things, how to fix things, how to do new things, um, even just showing up, you know, and some of these spaces, your local parks, guess what they need to keep their funding? Visitors, you have to show up. And you have to show up and be a part of your community. If you have a community garden, volunteer, pick from it. Because you know what that tells them every time you pick something from it or volunteer, that they need it. Because there's people like you who are going to use it. And so it's going to continue being there for you and people beyond you and people in the future. So if you are not into politics, it kind of scares you, kind of freaks you out. I totally 
understand 100%. I can get super anxious about that stuff too. Um, I've gotten more comfortable over the years, but ask me two years ago, I would have never been sitting in a town hall, ever. You would have never got me there. I wouldn't have been able to get myself to go. But you could get me to go to a park or the library or my local rec center, get a card, keep an active membership. Um, and it's really fun beyond that. You know, it's it's not a daunting task to get involved with your neighbors and learn to not be afraid of your neighbors and the people who live around you. That idea is kind of also something that was somewhat sold to us when we introduce cars, which is you should be afraid of people like you need to stay in your car and stay safe, which is not necessarily always true. Obviously, safety is a big concern. And especially as a woman, when I talk about walkable cities, I am aware of safety concerns. Safety is one of the things that kills certain communities from embracing public transportation. And there are innovations that need to be put in place to make it safer, of course. But if you're not comfortable doing these things, get on your local bus, go to the library, go to the park, participate in your events, go to a garage sale, talk to your neighbors, like give them some cookies when you move in, like just stay active and show up. Showing up. I think that is like the main takeaway here is just showing up, being an active member of your community is the most valuable thing you can do to help your own environment, your own situation become more sustainable or more livable, sustainable. Right. I don't know what word I'm looking for here. I feel like there's a word I'm searching for that I'm like, I'm like, it's right here. But I can't find it. Um, but to make your own environment a little bit more sustainable. And it's not necessarily sustainable in the way that's like, you know, this is going to save the planet, but it's sustainable in a way of this is going to make you happier in the long run. Our future generations are going to thank us for, you know, building a park instead of a, a parking garage. <laughs> yeah, parking garage. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And I feel like that's the main takeaway is, you know, these things aren't going to happen overnight. But if you continue to go for yourself and, and experience these local activities that your community has to offer and encourage your neighbors and your friends to do the same, then that's going to result in a much bigger change. And it's going to take some time, but after a while, it will happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of an art if you think about it. It's not, there's no scientific way to make sure it happens, but if you balance all the different elements, you create the art of a sustainable city, I guess. Yeah, oh, I love that. I love that analogy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I absolutely loved talking with you today, Alyssa. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, this is your space. If you would like to share anything uh, on where people can find you. Yeah. So right now I am primarily on TikTok and Instagram, both at new lifestyle, ABB, B as in boy. Um, and yeah, I post all kinds of videos about all kinds of things, especially sustainable cities as of recently. So be sure to follow me there. I'd love to have you. Yeah, I will link all of that in the show notes for anybody interested, along with the Mind Body Planet podcast, um, Instagram, as well as my own personal ways you can find me, which is on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Crystal and Geyer. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. It was awesome. I really like learning more about sustainable cities. Alyssa, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with everyone. I hope everybody got to learn a little bit more about how they can really create an impact in their own community and, and create a more sustainable space. Yeah. Thanks for having me on first podcast. Woo. Woo -woo, woo -woo. <laughs> <laughs>
we've made it to the good climate news. Today's article is titled Artificial Rock Pools in the South of England Successfully Attract Sea Creatures. So to give you a little debrief, scientists have basically discovered that if they can create these little like fake crevices on these sides of bridges and things like that, that that's actually perfect for creating little habitats for sea life like crabs, barnacles, mollusks, small fish, sea squirts, and even seaweed. So really, really fun article to read makes you feel good about, you know, people making sure that little sea creatures have homes too. So I will link that in the show notes if you are interested. That is this week's episode. Of course, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at mindbodyplanetpodcast. You can also follow me, the host, Crystalline, at Crystalline Geyer on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And I will see you next week.